morning, everybody. Right, glad to see you back into the house of the Lord. And uh, I trust that the video testimony just now have encouraged you and prepared all of us for this morning uh, message itself. Okay, let me start off by just showing you our uh, emphasis on the IDMC. And you know that we have started this intentional disciple-making church journey uh, since uh, August 2021. So it has been one year and uh, we are going through the four processes and we have gone through connect and we have gone through equip. Uh, we started with connect and how we want people to be connected to God, connected to the church and connected to one another. So we emphasize on that and we are still doing the connecting. It's something that's continuous that we keep reaching out and we keep, you know, uh, relating to one another. And from that, you know, the second emphasis was on equip. How we need to equip our head, that we need to know the word of God, equip our heart, uh, we must feel along, we must apply it, uh, uh, the word into our life as well as equipping our hand to serve God. And so after all these two emphases, and last month we have the emphasis on missions. And I trust that we are inspired to continue, you know, uh, 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 to give towards mission, to be involved in mission. And mission is really our year-long activities, uh, year-long emphasis that we have. And so now come back to August again, we are ready to launch into our third process or third emphasis on mentor. Right, let's go to the next slide talking about mentor and we are emphasizing in discipleship because mentoring is part of discipleship. And of course, when we mentor, we mentor people to serve the Lord as well. Now actually, what is mentoring? There can be many, many uh, description, definition, but one of the most uh, uh, what I find that you know, the most sustained definition of mentoring is when someone shares their knowledge, skills, and experience to help another person to progress. All right? It's actually an act or process of helping and guiding another person to support their personal development. So a mentor is there to guide, to support someone else for them to grow, for them to develop. Pastor Benny Hall define mentoring as an intentional relationship where a mentor identifies and facilitates the work of God in the life of a mentee to the end of growing him or her in spirituality, character, attitude, and skills. So he gives a very balanced, you know, and all-in definition of what mentor is about. And of course, Pastor Penny Hall is our church consultant in the area of IDMC. And in fact, he will be coming in August, 20th of August, and to conduct this mentoring seminar for us. And I trust that all of us will take the opportunity. And he comes all, all the way, you know, he's actually residing and pastoring in Perth, Australia. And he's coming. Right, and uh, passing by and he's going to conduct a seminar. So this is the definition that he's giving and this is the definition I find that is very uh, orient, okay? So mentoring is really not something new. It was done way back, even in Old Testament time. Although the Bible does not use the term mentor, but the attributes, the characteristics, the processes of mentoring were evident in the biblical example that we are going to look at in a short while time. And we realize that God used mentoring to help mentees in their personal growth and in their ministry development. 
In Old Testament, mentors actually help mentees to discover their full potential in fulfilling God's will and also fulfilling the plan of God. Not only for their life, but in fact, in the Old Testament time, it's also for the nation. Right? So God raised up mentors that will raise up mentee as well. And in fact, in the Old Testament, we see the, it was the Spirit of the Lord that initiated uh, it's the Spirit of God that initiated the mentoring duties that were being carried out by mentors like Moses, uh, like Elijah, and even like Deborah, uh, the lady judge who prophesied and encouraged Barak and his team to go and fight and overcome the Canaanites. So today we want to take a quick look at a few mentoring examples in the Bible and learn about the different aspects of mentoring. And the first example we want to look at uh, is actually Moses and Joshua. Moses and Joshua, I see it as a mentoring of leadership. Now in Numbers chapter 27, verse 18 and 20, we find that you know, God actually saw there is a leadership quality in Joshua. And God was the one that instructed Moses to make Joshua his successor over the people of Israel to lead Israel into the promised land. So reading the scripture, it says, The Lord replied, Take Joshua, son of Nun, who has the spirit in him, and lay your hands on him. Present him to Eliezer the priest before the whole community and publicly commission him to lead the people. Transfer some of your authority to him. So the whole community of Israel will obey him. So you realize that God was the one that saw that there were certain quality and there were leadership quality in Joshua and actually asked Moses to anoint him and to commission him. Now let us get to know a little bit more about Joshua. Who was Joshua? Right? And of course we know that Joshua was first mentioned in the scripture when Moses chose him to lead the Israel army to fight the Amalekites after they left Egypt. After they left Egypt, they crossed over, all right, and, uh, uh, and you realize that the journey was not smooth. They have enemies. And the very first enemy was the Amalekite. They were the first one they come, you know, to attack them. And so Moses looked around and he saw Joshua, this man. He got the courage and he appointed Joshua to lead, all right? And, when jo and after Joshua has a successful campaign against the Amalekite, from that moment onwards, Moses intentionally developed Joshua's leadership. Now, this is a very significant event that was recorded for us in Exodus chapter 17. It was a very significant event. Not only because it is the first victory that Joshua had after they left Egypt, but it was done with the help of the Lord. And I want you to take note that the victory, right, in this passage of scripture, the victory was won with Moses' uplift hand and indicating that victory was from the Lord. And after that event, God gave specific instruction so that the event will not be forgotten. So let's look at Exodus chapter 17, verse 14. And this is what the Lord said. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it. 
because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. You know, it is so significant because after a successful victory, God actually instructed Moses to write it down on the scroll. Now, how did Joshua won the victory? The Bible tells us that Moses went up to the hill to observe the battlefield. And each time, you know, his hand was lifted up, Joshua was winning. But when his hand got tired, it was dropping down, Joshua and the army began to retreat and the Amalekite was advancing. And so Joshua, uh, Moses had to keep his hand raised up. So we Aaron and her, one on each side to keep putting his hand up until Joshua gained the victory. It was significant because the victory was not won by Joshua himself just because he was a brave warrior. But rather, it was with the Lord's help. And God wants Moses to record down this event. Can you imagine? And God told Moses, you must write it down. Not only record it in the scroll. And God said, make sure. Make sure Joshua hears it. Make sure Joshua knows about it. For two reasons, of course, one of the reasons God is wanting to encourage Joshua and say, I will completely blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. In other words, Joshua is going to face many more battles. This is not going to be the first battle he's going to fight. There will be many more battles he's going to fight Amalekite, and each time God will give him the victory until the Amalekite will be completely blot out from the face of the earth. And of course, it was also significant Joshua needed to know actually what took place. He needed to know that Moses was there supporting him. Moses was there watching over him from the top. All right? And it tells us that God already has in mind Joshua as the next leader. So therefore, he wants Joshua to hear about it, that he has a mentor that is there supporting him. At the same time, God is going to give him the victory eventually. So as you read through the scripture, you see Moses from that time on began to pour into the life of Joshua. And Moses even brought Joshua up to the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments. We all know that Moses went up to the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments 40 days and 40 nights. Yes, Moses was alone with God. But oftentimes we overlook that Moses actually brought someone else with him that was Joshua in Exodus 24 verse 13 so Moses and his assistant Joshua set out and Moses climbed up the mountain of God so Joshua went up with Moses maybe halfway through right he didn't follow all the way up because Moses was you know having a, a wonderful time with God one on one but Joshua was somewhere midway waiting in other words, he was the one that's closest to Moses. Nobody else, not even Aaron. Aaron was supposed to be the mouthpiece of Moses. But not even Aaron had the privilege to go up the mountain with Moses except Joshua. Alright? So they went out and this showed that Joshua was very close and he assisted Moses' leadership and he learned from Moses. So Joseph observed Moses' righteous indignation. Remember when the time, you know, when Moses came down with the tablet of stone, the Ten Commandments, and Joshua was the one that told Moses, I heard sound, you know. I heard sound. You see, the sound was celebration, you know. Moses was thinking, no, no, this is uh, some, some other things, you know. It is, not, it is something that's very strange. And of course, 
By the time they reached the camp, they saw that the people were worshipping the golden calf. And then Moses was so angry, he broke the two tablets. And of course, Joshua was there to observe. As he observed Moses, what did he feel? He can felt Moses' indignation, righteous anger rising up because so soon the people had forsaken God and they began to worship an idol, began to worship the golden calf. And those of you who were in the lifestyle, you have not been in the, to the lifestyle, this is the time you get in. We are studying the Ten Commandments and the first commandment is what? You shall have no other God before me and you must not make for yourself any graven images. And so soon, they already broke the first two commandments. There, God gave them the commandment. Down below, they broke the two commandments. And Moses rose with anger, that kind of passion. And Joshua observing. Joshua caught on. Right? Joshua caught on the passion, the conviction of Moses. So that kind of passion and conviction begin to rub on to Joshua. So you can see how a mentor has an influence in the life of a mentee. So Joshua carried out God's will later with the same passion that Moses had because he saw it with his own eye. And he carried out with the same passion. He learned from Moses' leadership on obedience, on submission to the will of God. And he learned to rely on God just like Moses did. Joshua was also a witness of a very close, holy communion that Moses shared with the Lord as he guarded the tents of meeting. The Bible tells us that oftentimes Moses will go to the tents of meeting. The tent of meeting is really a meeting place between Moses and God. And Moses will speak to God and God will speak to Moses. And Joshua will be the one that's closer. He will be guarding the tent of meeting. And as Moses spent time with God, and Joshua was so close that he, he began to observe it, right? and, and he began to witness it. Look at Exodus chapter 33, verse 11. Inside the tent of meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speak to a friend. Afterward, Moses would return to the camp but the young man who assisted him, Joshua, son of Nun, would remain behind in the tent of meeting. You see, he would be there guarding the tent of meeting. Even when Moses finished, he was still there, you know, guarding. So he can observe and he can experience how, what Moses was experiencing so close to God. And that kind of a, a devotion, that kind of closeness to God again rubbed on to Joshua. And so here, we see Moses modeled a life of close communion with God. Moses modeled it and Joshua caught on. And this is mentoring. And through all those critical moments in the life of God's people, and Moses led them out of Egypt, and before they entered the promised land, the entire journey in the Sinai Peninsula, there were many critical moments. There were many challenges they faced. Externally, there is attack from the enemy, but also internally, there were internal squabble. There were internal problems. Right? And you realize that Joshua was there with Moses all this while. Moses helped to ensure that the following generation, the next generation after him, would continue to love and to fear God. So Moses served the people by pouring out his life 
to the children of Israel, especially to Joshua. Joshua was personally appointed by God as a successor to Moses. But Moses had to prepare and mentor Joshua for the task that is ahead of him. All right? Now, look at Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 14. God instructed Moses to commission Joshua. Then the Lord said to Moses, The time has come for you to die. Call Joshua and present yourself at the tabernacle so that I may commission him there. So Moses and Joshua went and presented themselves at the tabernacle. Now this is coming to the end stage of Moses' life. And so Moses obeyed God, commissioned Joshua, ready to pass over the leadership role to him. Verse 34 to 9, verse 9, Joshua's leadership was accepted by the Israelites. Because he said, now Joshua, son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses has laid his hand on him. So the people of Israel obey him, doing just as the Lord has commanded Moses. So you see, because of what Moses has done and publicly commissioned Joshua as instructed by the Lord, immediately after Moses' death, Joshua was ready to lead Israel. And the people of Israel was ready to accept Joshua because they have seen how Moses poured out his life to Joshua. Now, from then on, we see Moses mentored Joshua in the area of leadership development. To make the mentoring work, both, both of them must be willing. Moses must be willing to equip and to impart to Joshua. Joshua must be willing to learn. Joshua must be willing to receive, to observe, to even absorb, and to wait for his time. This is very important. Mentoring takes time. There's no shortcut. Mentoring takes time. And both the mentor and mentee must be willing to spend time and be patient with one another. Do you know how long Joshua waited? Joshua waited for about 40 years before he eventually took over from Moses. How do we know? Because he was one of the 12 spies. They went into the promised land. And because of the sin, you know, God said they will be in wilderness wandering for the next 40 years. So Joshua waited for that long. Eventually for Moses to hand over to him. And during those long period of time, I want you to take Note that in the Bible, it recorded that a couple of times, Moses' leadership had been challenged. Moses' leadership had been challenged by some of the disgruntled Israelites, and one time even by his own sister and brother. Now he has been challenged. And Moses, you know, uh, 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 while he was being challenged, he was being cornered, you realize that what did Joshua did? Joshua remained loyal to Moses. Joshua did not take advantage of the situation. He did not try to usurp Moses' authority or to force his way to take over the leadership of Moses. He did not say that, hey, after all, God has anointed me. After all, Moses, God has asked you to lay your hand on me. But, Mo but Joshua did not usurp the authority. Uh, he did not force his way. He remained humble and faithful to his mentor. He was loyal to his mentor. And when the right time came, Moses graciously handed over the leadership to Joshua. And it was a very successful mentoring relationship between Moses and Joshua. 
if you aspire to be a leader, especially a spiritual leader, seek a godly mentor. Seek a godly mentor who can impart his or her life experiences, spiritual insight and leadership skills into your life. And if you are already a leader, aspire to be a mentor. If you're already a leader, many of you who are, aspire to be a mentor and start pouring into the life of others, another person, especially the younger ones. When you mentor others, you multiply yourself. And when you are being mentored, you are preparing your, for a better you, a better person. Because you grow, you develop as well. So we can see this mentoring relationship, right? Between Joshua, Moses and Joshua. The next example we want to take a look, of course, is Jesus and the disciples. Jesus and the disciples, I see it as the impartation of life. Impartation of life. We know that Jesus is the best mentor of all times. And let's see how Jesus built mentoring relationship with the early disciple. I would like you to turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. Gospel of John, chapter 1. Right, verse 35 to 51, but I would like to read you know, verse 35 to verse 42 first. All right. Okay, John chapter 1, verse 35 onwards. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They say, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Verse 39, come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent the day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. What happened is that, that Jesus was just beginning to start his ministry. And before him was the forerunner, John the Baptist. So John the Baptist already had a huge following. He was already baptizing people at the Jordan River. And so one day when John the Baptist saw Jesus and recognized that Jesus was the Messiah, and John the Baptist told the disciple, Behold, here is the Lamb of God. In other words, John the Baptist was willing to decrease himself so that Christ would increase. And he is telling his own disciple, hey, this is a guy, go and follow him. He may not say it that way, but by introducing Jesus as the Messiah, as the Lamb of God, these two young disciples caught on and they decided to just follow Jesus. Now, of course, Jesus didn't know he was walking. And when he saw, you know, or hear footsteps that people following, he turned around and he asked them what they want. And they say that, they ask him, you know, 
uh, where he stayed, and he said, come, come, come and see. He said, come and see. Now, the two disciples took the initiative. And when Jesus said, come and see, they followed Jesus and they spent the day with Jesus. And they spent the day with Jesus. Jesus invited them to come and observe and see how he lived his life. He was willing to connect with them. You see? Connect. He was willing to connect with them. And he opened up his life for them. Now, these are strangers to him. Right? They do not know him yet. They just want to find out who is he based on the recommendation of John the Baptist. But Jesus opened up his life for them to observe. He let them see for himself and he let them decide for, him, for themselves whether he was truly the Messiah or not. And he wanted them to experience for themselves who he really was. As Jesus invited them over to be with him, he was actually imparting his life to them. What do you think during those hours when they spend time with Jesus? I'm sure they talked to Jesus, Jesus talked to them. I'm sure, you know, they interacted with Jesus, they observed how he lived his life, his attitude, his personality, uh, many more. And then after spending his, this time with them, Jesus imparted his life to them. The first disciples were convinced that Jesus was the Messiah by just being with Jesus. They were convinced. And so one of them, by the name of Andrew, one of the two disciples was so convinced that he, meet, he immediately shared the good news to his brother Peter. And he went and look for his brother, he brought him to Jesus. He said, we have found the Messiah. Now, who is the other disciple? One is Andrew, who is the other disciple? Many Bible scholars believe that it was actually John the Apostle. John, the one who wrote the Gospel of John. He was actually writing his own experience that he was with Andrew. All right? And so, obviously, Peter believed. Right? Peter believed, we know that these two pairs of brothers, uh, we always talk about Peter, James, John, and of course Andrew. They were two brothers, two different set of brothers, but they were close friends, they were fishers men. And so of course, you know, you have these two that, that met Jesus and come and introduce one of them to Jesus. And of course, you know, Peter believed. All right? And this is how you realize that when Jesus imparted his life to the disciples, they were convinced. And then it went on. Let's read verse 43. Continue the story. Then the next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Now Jesus was the one that offered himself to be the mentor. He said, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Peter followed Peter found, sorry, Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathaniel asked. Come and see. Philip said. When Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, he said to him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathaniel asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathaniel declared, 
Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Interestingly, the next day, Jesus found Philip. Philip followed Jesus and also was convinced that Jesus was the Messiah. And like what Andrew did, Philip went and looked for a friend. Right? Andrew looked for his brother. Now Philip went and looked for his friend, and he, his friend was called Nathaniel. He said, we have found the Messiah. Come, come, come. And of course, Nathaniel was a bit skeptical. And what did Philip say? Come and see. Jesus told the two disciples, come and see. They came, they saw, they believed. And now when Nathaniel told, I mean, when Philip told Nathaniel the same thing, you don't believe, right? Okay, never mind. You're skeptical, right? It's okay. I understand because you have not met him before. Why don't you come and see? Come and see for yourself. Come and experience for yourself. And then, even while Nathaniel was approaching Jesus, Jesus was able to speak right to him. Jesus was able to prophesy because Jesus had not seen Nathaniel. Right? They were far away. But Jesus knew that before Philip found him, he sat under the fig tree and Nathaniel was shocked. How do you know? How do you know? <laughs> you know? And then he realized that Jesus was really special. And with that encounter with Jesus, Nathaniel also came to believe and came to follow Jesus. On another occasion, Jesus called out to the fishermen. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. In that invitation, Jesus was offering himself as their mentor. The New Testament does not use the term mentor, but the term disciples. But the way I look at it, some people try to differentiate between you know, discipleship and mentoring, but frankly, I don't see much different. I, I, I'm not going to argue over the terminology and the definition, but the way I look at it, biblical mentoring is part of the discipling process. Biblical mentoring, we know mentoring of many types, but when I talk about biblical mentoring, it is just part of the discipling process. And we can learn something about biblical mentoring from the example of Jesus. So from this verse, when Jesus said, come follow me and I will make you fisher of men, there is an end goal in mind. In mentoring process, there is an end goal in mind. And Jesus' end goal was for the disciple not only to follow him, to be like him, but he's going to prepare them with a purpose. They're going to be fishers of men. So there was a sense of purpose in the mentoring process and in the mentoring relationship. In other words, mentoring is purposeful. It's not just following a trend. It's not, just, oh, the, the church is having this. Let's just follow this trend. And after this emphasis is over, no. This is just a beginning. This is an emphasis. When we start, as you say, it takes time. It's going to be a prolonged relationship. There is an end goal in mind. And both the mentor and the mentee must know what they are in for. Not only there's an end goal in mind, as mentioned, mentoring is a process. The fishermen themselves knew that in order to learn how to fish, the actual fishing, there is a process, there are knowledge that you need to know. 
there is a technique that you need to learn. There are the tools and equipment that you need to know how to use. Uh, you need to know how to maneuver the boat uh, when there is the storm and so on and so forth. You need to know how to catch fish and what time and where to catch fish. They also need to be aware of the unforeseen circumstances. Like sometimes the storm, the wave, the weather can be you know, very uh, disruptive or very unpredictable. Weather condition can be unpredictable. So they understood it's a process when Jesus said, I'm going to make you fishers or men. It is something new they are going to learn. As they have learned how to fish fish, but now fishing men is a different ball games altogether. So they know it's going to be a process. They have to learn from scratch. So mentoring is a process and not a program. And then the mentoring process is relational. Jesus invited them to come and see. And now Jesus asked them to come and follow me. Now, we all know that Jesus actually spent three years with the disciples. They were together most of the time. He not only taught them, he modeled his life for them, and he teach them how to live for the kingdom. He imparted his life, his teaching, his attitude, his servanthood, all this he imparted as he spent time with the disciples. And this was actually how mentoring was done in ancient time. The protege or the disciple would leave his home and go and stay with the mentor or the master. And there the master will impart knowledge, life skill, philosophy, attitude right, to the mentee or to the disciple. And this was exactly what Jesus did. Perhaps some of you or many of you have watched Chinese Kung Fu movie before, isn't it? Uh, have you watched Chinese Kung Fu movie? Chinese Kung Fu movie, you will have these young men, you know, who want to go up to the mountain to look for the master, to look for the sifu. They say, Xiong San Wan Sifu. They go up to the mountain, they leave their family behind, right? They just take, uh, you know, a, a kind of uh, ancient backpack, uh, the powerful, and just go and look for the master and stay with the master for the rest of their life and learn all the Kung Fu. That's what it is, mentoring. And this is what the disciple did. They spent time with Jesus, and Jesus poured out his life to them. So my question to you is, are you willing to invest time in the mentoring process? Jesus invested three years of his life on a group of rough and self-serving individuals. But their lives were transformed, especially so after the death and resurrection of Jesus. They remembered his teaching. They remembered his life. And they were so changed, so charged up, so renewed. When the Holy Spirit came upon them, they were willing to pay the price to preach Jesus. Mentoring. It's not just the mentoring of leadership, but there is an impartation of life. And the third one that we want to take a look, right, which is coming closer home to us, Paul and Timothy. Paul and Timothy, the passing down of legacy. Paul, no doubt, was one of the greatest Christian leaders and church planters at all time. He wanted the believers and the church that he founded to be built on a very firm foundation. And he also wanted to ensure the continuity of the Christian faith, the continuity of the Christian faith and the Christian doctrine. 
And so he intentionally singled out individuals who were full of potential and he mentored them to provide good leadership for the churches, especially after he was gone. Paul was willing and Paul was intentional. You see, mentoring, discipleship, intentional. He was, in, he was uh, willing, he was intentional. He singled out individuals, he built faithful men. And these faithful men will be able to continue what was left behind by him. And of course, two of these outstanding protege of Paul were Timothy and Titus. Timothy and Titus. And Paul wrote to them personally. That's why in the New Testament, you have the letter to Timothy, two letters, and you have the letter to Titus. These were the mentee of the Apostle Paul. Even while he was not able to be with them physically, he wrote to them. He gave them instruction. Uh, he prepared them, you know, and, and he giving them guidance how to face the challenges of pastoring churches. Uh, because these two were young pastors. And there, Paul discipled them and Paul wrote to them. Now, when Paul wrote his final letter, the final letter of his life, the second Timothy, before he was being condemned to die, and he actually was killed, right? He was uh, executed under uh, the, the mad emperor Nero. So he knew his time was up. So he wrote his last letter, 2 Timothy. And he gave clear instruction to Timothy to pass on all that he has learned from him to other people. Because Paul didn't want what he had been receiving from the Lord, what he had passed down to Timothy, just be wasted. He wants Timothy to continue on. And so in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22, this is the most popular verse when it comes to discipleship, when it comes to mentoring. He said, and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable people, who will also be qualified to teach others. In short, he is to mentor others, to ensure that the spiritual legacy is passed on from one generation to another generation. This is to ensure continuity and preserve the integrity of the Christian faith. That's why Paul mentor Timothy, Titus, and many more, and he's giving Timothy this instruction and this instruction is also to you and me because we know what Paul has written that now you have become the New Testament and what we read here is not just for Timothy alone but it's for you and me then we need to learn to be mentored and we need to learn to mentor others so that the Christian legacy the spiritual legacy will continue to pass down from one generation to another and this is how family pass on their family trade. Especially those companies, they say, wow, how many years of history? 80 years, 100 years, from my great-grandfather to my grandfather to my father and now to me, that kind of, you know, a traditional business. That's how mentoring takes place. The father will pass on to the son. The son will pass on to his son and his son will pass on to his son. That kind of a thing. Right? So it's usually passed down from one generation to another through what? Going to school? No. Personal coaching and mentoring. Personal coaching and mentoring. The father will teach the son and so on and so forth. So it's personal. They to ensure that the family trick continue for many generations and sometimes they will have their family secret. The trick secret, nobody can know. They won't let outsider know. It can only be perpetuated down through the family line. Am I right? This is part of mentoring. So we look at these three biblical examples of mentoring. We know that all of us, K 
can be part of the mentoring process, all of us, young or old. If we aspire to grow and develop our Christian life and service, it is good that we have someone to mentor us, especially some of you who are growing believers, who are new believers, who are young ones, uh, who are coming out to work, you know, who are, who are learning to how to serve God. It's good to have someone to mentor you. Right? The person who mentors you, yes, not only on the spiritual side, he can also mentor you in the area of your career, in the area of your personal development. All right? So, uh, mentoring can be very holistic. It can cover many aspects of a person's life. So, if you are that, I will encourage you uh, to seek out uh, for someone to mentor you. On the other hand, many of you are mature believers. You have been Christian for many times and many of you, for many years, and many of you are already serving God and you are already holding leadership position. You have the skill, you have the knowledge, you have the experience. Many of you have worked right, many years outside in the world. You also know some of the trade, you know, of the world, professional trade. Uh, you have life experiences where the young ones have not been there yet. May I encourage you to rise up. To rise up and be a mentor to the younger person. You can help develop their leadership. You can also impart your life. You can impart your spiritual insight to them. So please don't waste all your knowledge. Don't waste your resources. Don't waste your experiences. Pour into the life of a younger person. Start imparting into somebody else. You can pass down a good legacy to them. And this is also a challenge to you as a mentor. Because being a mentor, you know that you need to model the life. So you also keep yourself in check. You also keep your own spiritual life in check. Because you want to pour into the life of somebody else, you want to pour in something good and not something rotten, you see. So therefore, it's also an incentive, it's also a personal challenge for us as mentors to keep ourselves in check so that we walk close to God. Then we know that we have the confidence to impart to somebody else. So church, this is a multi-generational church. We have older adults, we have younger adults, we have the youth as well. The mentoring process is ideal in helping us in this church to connect with one another, to bridge the gap, to bridge the generation gap, and to build relationship through the mentoring process. From that simple step, it can progress into a healthy, fruitful mentoring relationship. So if you are a new believer, I would encourage you, take advantage right, to be followed up. Now, follow up is part of mentoring. It could be a short-term mentoring process. Have somebody, a more mature Christian, to help you grow in the Christian faith. That is very important. So, and I tell you that there is joy in mentoring. There is a sense of satisfaction. There is a sense of fulfillment as you watch your mentee grow and develop. Over the years, I have discipled quite a number of people since my younger days. Right? And of course, at one stage uh, of, of my ministry, I was so busy, I didn't have time to do mentoring. But now I'm restarting it of recent years. And I can still look back that many of those that I have discipled at that time, right, we, now we call it mentoring, and many of them are growing fine. Right? Quite a number of them are in the ministry. So, some of them really surprised me. Some of them surprised me. Some of them have lost touch 
But later, when we kind of got in touch with one another again, it amazed me that they are still growing strong in the faith. Uh, they are still growing strong in the faith. They are still faithfully serving God. And that is a joy, that is a satisfaction that you have when you see fruitfulness, when you see fruit is being produced through the mentoring process. I pray and trust that you will make yourself available to be willing to be trained as a mentor. And for those of you who need to be mentored, make yourself available. Be willing to be mentored by somebody else. Those of you who want to grow in your spiritual life, seek a mentor. Take initiative and start the journey together. Amen? Amen. 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 Can I have the worship team to come forward? And really this morning, I would like to encourage and challenge all of us to really get involved in this mentoring process. That it is not a program, but it's something for us to grow because we want to be an intentional disciple-making church. And our church vision statement is that we want to be a missional church that transforms life and impacts nation. Life can be transformed through the mentoring process. To be missional is to be disciple. Discipleship and mentoring is similar in a sense. So therefore, I encourage all of us to do that. Can we all rise up?